Oh, dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. And we thank you for your provision of all things that are needful, Lord. And we thank you for this Bible study. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you would open it up to us and that you would help us to, to love your word and that it would really resonate in our heart as we learn more about your covenant that you made with Abraham. Thank you for Dane and all of the work that he puts into it, Lord. And I pray that you would encourage him and strengthen him and that you would give wisdom to him. And we pray that you would go before him with his new job and the church uh, relaunch, Lord, we pray that you would bless him in every conceivable way and that you would draw many people to yourself through him and through that church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is not our revelation study. This is foundations. We've got eight total of these foundations, and this is the third one. Uh, these will all focus on biblical covenants, covenants that God has made with certain stewards on earth at certain periods of time in order to reveal more about himself through his word. Uh, so this is focusing on the Abrahamic covenant. A lot of teachers, including Dwight Pentecost, if anyone's heard of him, we've, we've used some of his work previously. Um, also, William Barclay, he's one of the more famous commentarists. They all point to this portion of scripture and say that this is probably the most important area of scripture uh, besides the Gospels. Uh, I think Pentecost even views this as foundational for the Gospels so that this would even take precedent to that, because without this, there would be no Gospels. Um, so this is a very important area of scripture for us to study and understand. The book of Genesis was written by Moses uh, around the time of the Exodus. This was information that uh, he found necessary to convey to the Israelite people uh, who were about to come and take their promised land. So he had to remind them of God's working with them in the past, uh, the promises that he had given to them through their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everything up until this point in Genesis 12 has been prefatory for this covenant. We saw the Edenic covenant where uh, God put Adam and Eve uh, in the garden in a perfect situation. Some have uh, called that situation unconfirmed favorable condition uh, where their faithfulness has not been confirmed, but God is favorable towards them and he gives them the test of obedience and they fail that test. Uh, the covenant after that one is the Edenic covenant where God puts certain restrictions on mankind in order to curb the effect of sin. Then comes the Noahic covenant where God further restricts the progress of sin in mankind. Uh, and uh, destroys the earth with a flood. Well, the events after the flood are going to be different than how God dealt with mankind previously. Previously, uh, all of nature was affected by a change in covenant or by the breaking of the covenants. So when Adam broke the covenant, all of nature was changed when the curse was added um, so that it affected every portion of uh, created the created universe. When God brought about the judgment of the flood, it's uh, quite a bit about how our earth functions, even the physics of, of how the earth runs. And he, he promised that from that point forward, 
he would maintain uh, the earth in its current state um, until his return. So from that point forward, whenever he steps in to deal with man, uh, he is not going to cause a change that is global, but he'll be working more individually. And that's what we see. We're going to see God pulling out an individual from the heathen lands and creating for himself a people. Um, so rather than destroying everyone else, he pulls them out and isolates them. So a little reminder about what these covenants are. Clarence Larkin says that God's covenant with men originate with him and, orig and generally consist of a promise based on the fulfillment of certain conditions. Each one introduces a new dispensation. Uh, my definition of biblical covenants are legal contracts with binding and understandable language between God and man. Uh, in scripture, we find eight covenants. Uh, see, two of those covenants are theological covenants, meaning uh, the, the word covenant is not used, but it uses covenant language. Uh, there are some theologies which recognize only these two theological covenants and don't recognize the preceding six covenants, which do use the term covenant. Uh, but we're going to treat all eight as if they are covenants, recognizing that God reveals his word progressively. So some terms are not used early on where they are later defined and then used from that point forward. So the covenants that God made with man, uh, the specific terminology begins with the Noahic covenant, which we saw about two months ago. This time we're going to focus on the Abrahamic covenant. This is an unconditional and eternal covenant, which God makes with Abraham. We're going to see a conditional covenant later on, which is the Mosaic covenant, um, in order to be uh, receiving this covenant or the benefits or blessings of this covenant. They will have to be obedient to it. Uh, the land covenant, Davidic covenant, and new covenant are all amplifications of the Abrahamic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant it functions similarly to a driver's license, where the Abrahamic covenant functions as a new car. So without the driver's license, you don't have permission to use the new car. Um, so from this point forward, all of the covenants that we see in the future will hinge on this Abrahamic covenant, uh, which rests on the foundation here of Genesis 1 through 11, the Edenic, Edemic, and Noahic covenants. So if that's a lot of information, but that's, that gives us a framework to hold on to um, as we go through and uh, try to understand what God is doing with these covenants that he makes with man how they function and how they don't function uh, will be equally important. So we did see the Edenic covenant, Adamic covenant, and the Noahic covenant. The last covenant in the framework of universal history will be the Abrahamic covenant. All covenants in scripture from that point forward are amplifications of that Abrahamic covenant. So it really is the last covenant that God gives to man. <clears throat> All right. Uh, during the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there is a lot of changes happening um, on the earth, so much so that we wouldn't recognize uh, life before the flood or life before the fall as consistent with life today. 
in 2 Peter 3, verses 5 through 6, Peter speaks about the changes uh, in the cosmos uh, at these different intervals, saying, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, which Oops, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. Well, that doesn't quite cover the whole thing. Let me get flip to it in my Bible here. Second Peter 3. Uh, so he says, Uh, know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. So the false teachers come along and say that all things have been exactly the same since God created the earth. Well, Genesis 1 through 11 is proof positive that that is not true, that there was a difference between the time before the fall and the time after the fall. God dealt with man differently. The conditions of the earth were different. Uh, and then after the fall uh, came the flood, where the flood also changed certain things about um, how the earth functioned. For example, uh, I know this one is hard to believe for modern scientists, but uh, it did not rain on the earth prior to the fall or prior to the flood. The flood is the first mention of rain, and it's mentioned in the context of it being the first time uh, that until that point, God brought a mist out of the ground. So even the science of how the earth functioned and how the um, how man functioned on the earth changed necessarily from the flood. And there are some uh, some adaptations that man had to do from that point forward. And these covenants help man um, function in that new scenario of how God is dealing with the earth, but also the very real uh, scientific uh, parameters that are on the earth and on the cosmos. So uh, last time we saw the flood, um, the there's plenty of places where you can find the uh, young earth creation view of the flood and what exactly it did to the universe, to the world. Uh, one thing would be that the earth is not going to be as conducive to growing anymore. Uh, it quite possibly caused an ice age, all the floodwaters, the, uh, the canopies falling down to the earth, the floodwaters of the deep rushing out uh, would likely cause volcanic reactions that would uh, put a canopy of ash and smoke over the earth, causing a flood or a, an ice age, uh, also necessitating that men either come together or spread out to, uh, to survive. And the further out they spread from, uh, from likely um, Turkey where they landed or Armenia, uh, it's going to be harsher conditions you're going to um, have a lot more wear and tear on the human body. And we're going to see micro evolutions that change the form and look of the human body as you get into rougher terrain and rougher territory. Uh, 
So there's lots of interesting things that could be studied and extrapolated from these few chapters uh, that Moses has given us. It's by no means exhaustive uh, of a history of the world that once was uh, prior to the flood. But uh, we've come now to a portion of scripture uh, which is in our current state of how the world is, and that is uh, the Tower of Babel, which is detailed for us a little bit in chapter 10 and quite a bit in chapter 11, but quite a bit is still only about nine verses. That's all we get really on Babel, but it will become a main theme throughout scripture when it re-emerges as um, the city of Babylon. So just a quick review of what we learned in these first uh, nine chapters. We saw that innocence or unconfirmed favorable disposition, uh, man must prove his favorable position through obedience. Uh, man fails, uh, he disobeys God, and uh, he corrupts all of creation. Sin is not a creation of God, but it is a corruption uh, that man created. God judges this corruption with death, and man loses dominion of the earth to the serpent. Uh, God's spirit strives with man uh, after the flood, or after the fall. They all start with F, it's kind of hard to remember. Uh, God's spirit strives with man after the fall. Uh, we can understand this probably as the Holy Spirit uh, working in the hearts of man but they are responsible to conscience, conscience by the urging of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see an early story of, or an early uh, image of this with God talking to Cain, telling him that sin is crouching at his door and it seeks to, uh, uh, it is seeking him. And Cain quenches the spirit, he ignores the words of God and instead ends up murdering his brother. So man fails to judge right and wrong. Remember that is the consequence of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have then the responsibility to judge right and wrong. But that doesn't mean that it's separated from God's uh, truth. So they become responsible then to seek after God's division of right and wrong rather than choosing right and wrong for themselves. Uh, but they continually quench the spirit until the entire world is corrupt with murderous hearts, and God sends the judgment of the flood. God adds to the spirit's striving with conscience of man the further restraint of human government, the ultimate expression of which is capital, capital punishment. So in the Noahic covenant, a restraint that God puts on sin is... Uh, is the birth of human government, where human has the right to uh, rule over other humans. And in order to confirm that, um, that authority, the ultimate uh, punishment that can be dealt on earth is capital, capital punishment. So God has delegated that authority to government. That brings us to the five divine institutions that God established in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The first being dominion, that mankind is given dominion over the earth, even though we have lost dominion in the sense of um, ownership of this earth. The earth at this point belongs to Satan. He is the God of this world. 
we still have a mandate to have dominion over the earth. Uh, God instituted marriage in the second chapter of Genesis. Uh, it is between one man and one woman, and that it is an everlasting bond between those two while life endures. And he also instituted family so that man is supposed to repopulate the earth. Uh, he confirms that at every point with the covenants. And he also delegated civil authority with the use of capital punishment uh, in Genesis 8. And now we see the birth of nations where God uh, again will uh, step down into earth and institute a new, a new thing, which will be nations. And the purpose of these nations is to curb the effect of sin. That uh, God does not want the entire world to function under one single government. God deals differently with different governments. He's able to reach some easier than he's able to reach others. Uh, missionaries would attest to that, where some nations you go in and there's plenty of hearts prepared for God, and others you go in and you meet a brick wall. Um, yeah, there, there's lots that could be said on that, but God has divided mankind into nations for their own safety um, in his dealings with them. So uh, again, this is another reason why we're going back into Genesis, because um, Revelation deals with a lot of things that first come up in, uh, in Genesis. And the, the world push towards a one world government is going to come up again in Revelation. We see here the very foundation of God's uh, disdain for one world governments. So we'll look at that in a little more detail. I think we can skip through some of these. These were the conditions of those covenants. Uh, we will go through the Noahic covenant really quick just to refresh our memories. Uh, Noah, Noah represents all of humanity to come after him as a steward over God's post-Diluvian world, post meaning after and diluvian meaning flood. Uh, his responsibility is to repopulate the earth. At this point, there are only eight people living on the earth, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. So they have a responsibility here to repopulate the earth so that redemption can come through man because God has promised redemption. Is his promises must come true. Uh, so he also commands them. Uh, the command to subdue the earth is not repeated because they've lost that authority to Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world. The fear of man is put into animals. Uh, this aids them in their dominion over uh, the earth. Uh, but they don't have the authority that they had prior to the flood under the Adamic and the Edenic covenants. Uh, so God has to put this fear into the hearts of animals in order to uh, protect man, though they've lost that authority. We saw that when we were looking at the six seal judgments, where um, in the sixth seal, one of the uh, one of the cosmolog cos yeah, cosmological convulsions results in, uh, in wildlife turning against men as well. Um, so this, this is part of God's restraining of 
the results of the fall that is slowly stripped away during the uh, during the tribulation period in order to deal thoroughly with um, judgment against mankind and Satan. Uh, so this is put into the hearts of animals for a means of self-preservation so that animals fear man. Their diet will consist of everything moving, see every moving thing and the green herbs. Uh, this is yet another expansion of their diet. From this point forward, their diet will be restricted uh, through uh, when we get to the Mosaic Law. At this point, the earth is not conducive to giving them all of the nutrients that they need through uh, the green herbs and through uh, the work of their hands in tilling the fields. They're also going to need to eat meat at this point in order to survive. The terrain of the earth is not as conducive to life as it once was prior to the flood. Uh, they are forbidden to eat blood. Uh, this is actually a commandment that has never been uh, changed. It was re, let's see, doubled down upon in the Mosaic Covenant and not taken away uh, in the church era when they were then allowed to eat unclean meats. That was the vision of Peter. Uh, they are still not supposed to eat blood. Uh, so that can be a bit of a controversial topic, especially in Scotland. But um, biblically speaking, we are still not supposed to eat blood because um, life is in the blood. It is the image of life, and we're not supposed to destroy that. Um, so blood is the symbol of life, and its shedding is a symbol of death. Uh, the promise that God gave to mankind is that he would never again destroy the earth completely with a flood. This does, however, leave him the option and the opportunity to destroy it with fire, which we will see at the end of Revelation. Uh, the sign of his covenant is the rainbow. And uh, just a little trivia, you guys don't have to answer, I guess, if you don't want, but who knows how many colors are in the rainbow? Anyone want to give it a guess? Seven. Seven, right. There are seven colors in God's rainbow. And how many are in the pride flag? It's not seven. Six. Six. I have no idea. Right. There are six colors in the pride flag, uh, six being the number of man, the number which, when tripled, uh, means man deified, man as God, the original temptation in the garden. Uh, so yes, uh, there are six colors in the pride flag, yet God has the perfect number of colors in his uh, promise to mankind. And that is seven colors. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's almost taunting God at sometimes to, uh, to point his sign back to him, the promise that he won't destroy the earth and uh, to use his sign. Um, for blasphemy, to say it nonetheless. Uh, so here is a quote by Arno Fruchtenbaum, uh, kind of just explaining the purpose of human government, the Noahic covenant, and um, how it functions throughout history. He says the Noahic covenant became the basis for the dispensation of human government. Although this dispensation has been superseded by the dispensation of promise, which we'll look at tonight, the unconditional Noahic covenant is still very much in effect. 
the judgments of the tribulation against the Gentiles will come because of violations of the Noahic covenant. According to Isaiah 24, 5 to 6, the judgment comes because humanity has violated the everlasting covenant. A name given to the Noahic covenant in Genesis 9, 16. For this reason, the prophet used the Noahic flood motif, the windows on high and the foundations of the earth in Isaiah 24, 18. But next time, God will destroy the masses of humanity by fire. <laughs>